And our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 16. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, you may. It's on page 21 in the New Testament section. Uh, in Matthew, in this section of Matthew, Jesus is pushing his disciples. Um, they keep wanting to know, like, where is this inner circle you're talking about, Jesus? And Jesus keeps saying, he keeps, it's, it's here. And then Jesus goes out a little bit further and says, well, it's a little bit further. And then Jesus goes out a little bit further, it's a little bit further. And this circle keeps going further and further and further. And so that's sort of the, the context of where we are within the, um, the gospel of Matthew. And then pushing Jesus to ask, like, where does this circle stop? Um, I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord again. It comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent um, them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and he found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. But when those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But, even, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have, been born, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. He replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Friends, the word of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Church historian Martin Marty recalls a summer day when he was eight years old. It was the grandest of miracles of his childhood occurred. A watermelon truck overturned right in front of the house. The uninjured driver jumped out to watch hopelessly as scores of neighborhood children came running from everywhere and they raced into the scene of this blessed event and they dove into the uh, spilled cargo and the sticky picnic right there on the pavement, right in front of Marty's house. The bad news? Marty Martin was out of town that day visiting his grandmother. He missed it. He never saw the overturned truck. He never took part of that sticky feast. Life is like that sometimes. We are where the action isn't. While lucky ones catch the bouncing watermelons, we're miles and miles away playing gin rummy with our grandmother. 
or perhaps even worse, we are right there next in line and the last watermelon gets grabbed. Oh, we're right there, right in our face. The store sign gets turned from open to close. The family picks your friend and not you to babysit. <clears throat> you send resume after resume after resume after resume and still no phone calls. Such is the story that Jesus tells his disciples. Right before his parable, Peter speaks up for all the other disciples. Listen, Jesus, he says. Now listen, we've walked away from our families. We've walked away from our jobs. We've walked away from the comfort of our homes and all of our comfort routines. We've gone hungry. We've slept on the ground. We've been cold. We've been wet. We've been hot. And we have been tired. And now you're taking us to Jerusalem, and we have no idea if we're going to make it out there alive or not. Look, Jesus, compared to all these other guys out here, You're hanging out with those tax collectors, those religious elites, the prostitutes, the traitors. We're in, right, Jesus? I mean, you love us more than them, don't you? So Jesus responds with a parable. A landowner goes out to town to square. Well, laborers gather every day looking for work. It's not unlike many um, laborers' markets that we have in our town now. It's about 6 a.m. A big harvest of work has to be done. Uh, maybe it's not going as fast as the landowner thought. Maybe a storm is coming. And so at 9 o'clock, the landowner goes back to town, sees a group of people, not being lazy, but just sitting there waiting for work, waiting to be hired. The landowner hires this group. He goes back at 12 o'clock, then goes back at 3 o'clock. The same thing happens. And then the landowner finally goes at 5 o'clock, one hour before shutdown. The day ends. The landowner says, come and get paid. Everyone stands in line, starting from the last hired to the first hired. And guess what? They all get paid the same amount. Every one of them is eating that sticky, juicy watermelon. And the group that started early in the morning, look at that landowner and says, this is not fair. But the landowner simply responds, are you envious? Because I'm generous. Before we move any further, let's talk about what this parable is not. This parable is not a business plan. It's not an economic model. It's not an idea of how we should pay our employees. It's not a solution to a a union and an auto industry dispute. And it's not a roadmap to stop a government shutdown. And this parable is not in favor or against why all children should receive trophies. Instead, this parable is about the gracious, faithful initiative of God. This parable is a dramatic overturn of our often conventional wisdom of how we think of God. So often our concept of God is that God is a record keeper, a finger pointer, a stern judge, meeting us in there in line, handing out one punishment after the next, after the next, after the next. But Jesus tells us this parable to remind us of the links that God will show to us about God's love and grace and power. This parable's reminder 
that God will send even a child into the world. This parable is a foreshadow that God will even send and allow this child, Jesus, to grow up and be crucified at the hands of the world. That God will raise this Jesus from the dead. Even then, God refuses to stop. God is ceaseless and taking initiative to reach out to every person waiting in that line, including you and me. Do you see what's happening in this parable? The landowner keeps going back and then back again and back again and back again. The landowner keeps looking for people waiting in line. All the ones that the world forgets, all the ones that the world marginalizes, all the one the, the world says, there's no room for you here. Which makes me wonder, if the landowner cares this much, what would the landowner do tomorrow? How about the day after that? When would the landowner be in three days? 10 days, 30 days, 70 days, 70 times 70 days. My guess, as seen through the life and death of Jesus, this landowner never quits coming out to that line of people, turning over one watermelon truck after the next, after the next, until everyone's hands are sticky. After everyone has gotten a taste of the kingdom of God. Which then brings us to another question this parable asks. Is God's grace just that cheap? In other words, does God's grace undermine any reason whatsoever for trying to be good, to, to get up to work every single day, to contribute to society, to love our neighbor? I mean, if we all get to taste the watermelon at the end of the day, why bother working hard all day long? That's a good question. But to do that would simplify the theology of grace. To do that, it sounds a lot like saccharine permissiveness, grace. Yes, God loves all. Yes, God includes all. But that does not mean that grace is cheap. After all, God's grace cost Jesus his entire life. And to live a life of grace turns out to be not just a moral doctrine, but a life that requires devotion, discipline, and work. William Muir, who taught at Yale Divinity School, once preached a sermon called To Hell with Acceptance, which is the demolished, the simplistic idea of grace as just mere acceptance. The prodigal son, you'll argue, got up that next morning after, being the, after enjoying his welcome party. And guess what? Was expected to work in the field with his older brother. The forgiven spouse is redeemed not by receiving special treatment, but when he or she is expected to rejoin the marriage with all of its responsibilities. We all know that forgiveness and reconciliation happens not when our loved one treats us with sweet kindness. But she throws us the dish towel and says, get to a buster. It's your turn to dry the dishes. The labor's in the field. We're hired at 5 p.m.? 
they've been given the opportunity to work. They come back the next morning at 6 a.m. with everyone else in the vineyard. That's the good news. The good news is that when we have been welcomed into a community that has given us purpose and meaning and been told, you are wanted, you are needed, you are valued, now let's get to work. I wonder... I wonder who in line this, who's in line this morning yearning to hear that message that they are wanted and needed and valued. Some of our oldest, yes, some of our oldest are waiting in line, sitting at a nursing home, hoping that this will be the week that they get a visit. Waiting in line, is that kid in jail? Crying and hurt and scared. When he gets out and he needs to get his life straight, do you think, would you mind if we made space for him? Waiting in line is that 16-year-old girl who rushed intimacy, now is expecting, and now she is isolated and alone. I imagine that she needs to hear this message of grace. Waiting in line is a trembling woman in a leaky, run-down shack, praying somehow that she gets enough money to get those utilities turned back on. And that 50-year-old man, that 50-year-old man is waiting in line who has worked his entire life for sub-wages and has nothing to show for, and he woke up this morning, and he looked into the mirror, and he says, I have nothing to offer this world. And Right next to that man in line is that 24-year-old hanging by a thread, facing a mountain of suspicion. And the one time that she walked into the church, no one said a word to her, and she left. Guess what? Instead of coming back, she waits in line, hoping that someone would give her a message of grace. Waiting in line, or there are those who have been told their entire life that they are different, that they don't fit in. Not here, because the church has spent century after century after century of deciding who can and who cannot work in the vineyard. Do you know who's waiting in line? The children of the prosperous. His parents constantly say to them, I want my children to have a better life than I did. I want them to have every opportunity that life has to offer. But when it comes to religion, when it comes to church, ah, that's their choice. Yes, whether this generation knows it or not, they are waiting in line, craving for authentic, safe place to know Jesus. This line of people stretches further than we can imagine. This week, I attended a conference by the Ministry Collaborative. The executive director, Mark Ramsey, um, of this faithful group of, that brings pastors together from all different denominations, time and time again says, increasingly we have multiple generations of spiritually hungry, institutional, suspicious people. He would never come to the front of a church or any church, and God knows that. So guess what? 
God refuses his weight out of the body, and he goes directly to them in line. All of them in line, including those folks who've been put down, who've been left over, who've been passed over. He goes to the line and looks for those people who are in pain, who are doing a really good job of hiding the pain, but in reality, they're in deep pain. God goes to that line, and he looks for those people whom faith is a day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat with God. And he goes to that line with a new generation of men and women and men and boys and girls just struggling to find some authentic So either we as a church follow Jesus and go to them in line, geographically as well as spiritually, or never meet them. And you know what the saddest thing about that is? Not only will they never be shared the enduring grace of Jesus Christ, but we will miss out on that transformative work that God is doing in life. I remember it was 1991. I was driving to school, and on the radio came over about Magic Johnson had contracted HIV. At the time, our world was still in this panic from this disease. The same day Johnson announced that he had HIV, he was forced to retire from basketball. And we as a world did not know what to do with HRV. We were just scared. Uh, But right in the middle of this AIDS epidemic, a physician named Joyce Wallace was tireless worker against the disease. She began driving up and down the streets of the west side of Manhattan in a specially equipped medical van paying prostitutes $20 to be tested on a a spot for HIV. She got so popular when they saw her van coming, a line of prostitutes just joined there together. These lines, her actions brought backlash against her her from the whole medical establishment. However, she refused to be dissuaded from her mission or confined by the conventional definition of what was and what was not fair. In fact, she drew inspiration from her mother, a teacher of children with brain injuries. A particular powerful memory of her was when her mother's class performed the stage uh, production of My Fair Lady. And her mother gave the lead role to a little girl in a wheelchair. It would never occur to her mother, reported Dr. Wallace, that the audience, so conditioned by life's boundaries of who should and who should not be in, who should and should not be included, of what was and what was not possible, would first be shocked and then move to tears when that little girl rolled herself out onto the stage at the climax of My Fair Lady, singing, I could have danced. All night. I could have danced all night. Jesus is constantly going back out into that line. Yes, to share the grace of God with every single person in there, to give them meaning and purpose. But I also think Jesus is going back into that line because Jesus is also just as concerned with every single person working in that vineyard. Especially that person that's been working since 6 a.m. Jesus is concerned with transforming their mind.
of what is and what is not fair. The question this parable brings up is not about fairness. Of how hard some work and how hard and how not hard others work. It's not even about, will God keep coming back to that line over and over again? The life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the answer to that question. The question this parable is asking us this morning, the question the question is asking, Lutheran to Presbyterian Church enough, it says, are we bold enough? Scratch that. Are we risky enough to follow Jesus out to that line? To welcome people back into our vineyard? It's a risk. Because we do it. Not only will our lives be changed, but the very life of this church will be changed. And if we believe in the gospel, there's only one answer to that question. And the question is yes. We'll go. Because this is what we know about Jesus. That Jesus will keep overturning one watermelon truck after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next, until every single person's hands are sticky and every person's bellies are full of that sweet, sweet, sweet grace of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.